Hi, this is Cam with the Nerdbook Review, where we strive to broaden your fantasy horizons. Today, the first episode of 2019, Barry and Chris will be bringing you the first episode that does not feature yours truly as well. They are going to be doing The Gods Themselves, an old sci-fi classic. That day I was on baby wrangling duty, so I am in the background. Occasionally you can actually even hear the baby cry, but you won't actually hear me in the discussion of the book. As 2019 begins, uh, we're excited to continue on with the podcast. Hopefully this year will be a little bit less crazy for Mrs. Nerdbook Review and I. We shouldn't have quite so much remodel stuff to do for the house. Um, anything that we do, if we end up doing a major project, I think we're going to hire someone to do it. Uh, the savings are not always worth the effort. Our baby is doing well, and uh, Bran, our three-year-old, almost four-year-old now, he's doing great as well. So hopefully, as long as things keep moving on, uh, work will quit being quite so crazy for me, and I'll be able to get a little bit more reading done, and we'll have a good 2019 I just want to say thank you to the people who nominated the Nerdbook Review for a couple of stabbies over on Reddit on our fantasy. Uh, go ahead and throw a vote our way if you want to do so. It will not upset me. <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, let me give a quick spiel and we'll get to the episode. You can reach us on via email at nerdbookreview at gmail.com, on Facebook with our Nerdbook Review Facebook page, and on Twitter with the handle nerdbookreview. Uh, Google Nerdbook Review, and you will find us. Hope you guys have a great year, and looking forward to putting out many new episodes. Thanks. I guess you know that music uh, from Assault or some. I guess that music is a bad influence. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Al, maybe uh, Bob Dole was right about it. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> was it he the one? Who was the video game one? The video game one. Was it the was first it Mike Bush? Huckabee or Mike Huck? No. no, they like they they made the the rating <laughs> system and stuff because video games um, were causing people. Was it the first the Bush? Systems Tipper Gore. Oh, maybe. Oh yeah, not Gore. Tipper Tip O'Neill. That was Tipper mm. Gore. Tip O'Neill was Democrat. Uh, no, Tip O'Neill was the Republican. Wasn't no. he? Was Tip O'Neill a Democrat? Democrat? He was the majority leader under Reagan. With, under Reagan, yeah. I see the trolls. He Who was like, he? He didn't like Jimmy Carter. Though. You know what Jimmy Carter did? Jimmy Carter like restricted like full breakfasts because he was trying to make. And Tip O'Neill's like, oh hell no. <laughs> Tip O'Neill gets a full breakfast. <laughs> Restrict. He's full like. Breakfast? He's like. He was trying to. Okay, guys, maybe we should cut back on just have like some. Bagels and donuts in this. It's like he's oh, in, oh, like and, within and, the Senate. Yeah. How about you? And Tipper go- before you get there. Well, well, they. It was uh, you know how entitled they all oh, are. Yeah. And Tip O'Neill was like, oh hell no. Tip O'Neill gets his full breakfast. <laughs> Tip O'Neill was a big dude. <laughs> was like, he? It's like trying to tell Warren Sapp to eat a bagel in the morning. <laughs> you don't do that. Uh, it's like telling Warren Sapp no, no prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, we're getting warmed up. I like it. <laughs> all right. Oh man. All right. You ready? You guys ready? Yeah. Yeah, more or less. Have we sound checked? You look good. Very Oh, because I wanted to sound check. Okay. We s- are we sound checked? Can we sound <coughs> Slovak? <laughs> Chris. Too Chris. soon? Okay. Chris. My grandpa's Slovakian, but. All right. Chris. <laughs> you know, the, the other day, I was uh, having a look at a book, and I saw a picture of a guy fried up above his knees. And I said, I can relate, because lately I've been thinking about combustication as a welcome vacation from the burdens of planet Earth. 
you know, gravity, hypocrisy, and the perils of being in 3D and thinking so much differently. <clears throat> Pardon me. All right, I'm done. Are we good? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a good rap. That's a good rap. Is that a rap? That's that Incubus. Was, that was oh, man. I had one, so I guess. So pardon me uh, while I burn. I like big butts, and I cannot lie. You other brothers cannot deny. I don't know the rest of it. When a girl it. walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. Yeah. <laughs> one thing right. I thought about that song like a while ago is Baby Got Back. I thought it was like a revenge song, but I guess it wasn't. <laughs> I just didn't understand the lyrics correctly <laughs> enough. Baby Got Back at a spurned lover or... Yeah. <laughs> Back right, at a nice. like a heavy cleavage tomato. <laughs> Remember what? that video? No. no. The video had the, like those big tomatoes shaped like butts in it. Uh, I don't know. Let's get let's get this uh uh intro started then and then right. I'm going to try to currently as we get ready to start uh Brandon is standing naked between the three of us trying to show us Paw Patrol toys. It's real weird. Parents it's... of children don't understand how bizarre it is <laughs> the things that their children do. <laughs> Their guests do. <laughs> the ones that don't have little kids around them on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah. And then the baby is currently in the swing. Uh, she's awake but happy at the moment. So we'll see how long that continues uh, while Katie gets ready. And then Bran is going to his first uh, birthday party that he's been invited to. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. That's Conveniently, exciting. he's in his birthday suit. He is, yeah. Burakush. <laughs> so... Hi, I'm Cam. I'm Barry. And I'm Chris. And this is the Nerdbook Review. Today is going to be a special episode. It will be the first episode that I'm not actually going to take part in the discussion of the book. Uh, it'll <laughs> Why be, did you let this happen? I don't know. It seemed like a good idea. I was reading another book, and I'm like, yeah, let's let's see how this goes. I mean, maybe if it goes well, you guys could record more, you know? I don't really feel like this is just my podcast. I mean, Chris, you do basically just about as much work on it as I do as far That's as reading. That's not true at all. Okay, well, <laughs> well, aside from the editing, you you know, yeah. you're on like three quarters of the episodes, and Barry, yeah. he gives us like our our all, almost all of our different books. I mean, if we have a book that was recorded before we were any of us were born, then it came from Barry. So, Barry, what book are we going to be reading? Are you guys going to be discussing today? The Gods Themselves by Isaac Asimov. So we're going to finish off the trilogy then of uh the big three the giants of early science fiction uh barry and i what were the other two books we did we did revolt in 2100 by robert heinlein and we did um the fountains of paradise by arthur c clark yep um i didn't particularly care for either of them all that much although i have read books that i liked by both authors so i think i just didn't like the specific books um i have never read a book by isaac asimov i don't think you got to read Foundations. Foundations, that's what I hear. So, um, Chris and Barry, how do you guys want to want to get into this, get started? I guess we could read the... By kicking you out of this? <laughs> All righty. <laughs> I'm going to go real quick and start making pizza. Nice. And nice deal work. with children. I need another beer. Nope. All righty then. Wait, wait, wait for him to stand up. Sensuous. <laughs> Um, just one of the pale ales, I guess. Okay. I guess we could just read the. Cover yeah, I mean, we got to do we got to do our if we're gonna follow a, a normal NBR outline, then mm -hmm. we'll 
We'll talk book stats, and then we'll talk maybe a little bit of Asimov, mm-hmm. and then get into plot. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Book stats, here we go. Excellent. The gods themselves, at least the edition that I'm looking at right now, is 288 pages long. It's a fairly short book. Yeah. It was a and a quick and easy read. Uh, Isaac Asimov is known through most of his career to be, most of his books are part of a big series. This is one of his few one-off books. Oh, I did have written down. This is, uh, so this book won the, uh, the Nebula in 1972 for best novel, and then it won the Hugo in 1973 for best novel. So critically acclaimed. I think it was his, maybe it's not his most famous book, but it was his first to win those major awards. Mm-hmm. Let's read the, the book blurb, which uh, we're going to pull off of the jacket. Do you want to read it? Sure, why not? The, in, the interrelationships of three different worlds, the actions of a wide variety of their inhabitants, and the resolution of their common problem form the substance of Isaac Asimov's exciting book. It says new book here, but I'm not going to say new book. You'd be lying. His first full-length science fiction novel in 15 years. Each of the three cultures with different values and dramatic contrasts is personified by one individual. On Earth, it's a scientist who tries to warn that what seems to be progress may in reality end up with complete annihilation. On an alien and mysterious planet, it's a unique being that questions the morality of self-preservation at any cost. On the moon, it's a girl who is fantastically intuitive, and each set against the particular place and time seems to be an inaudible voice crying in an uncaring wilderness. Well done, Barry. Yeah. So, so if we're going to talk plot, let's uh, let's mention that <clears throat> essentially this book is broken up into three pieces, like that mentions. Uh, you have the first piece. Let's talk a little bit about that. The first piece takes place on Earth. Um, we. Uh, Essentially, have uh, there. This is where a lot of the like science really gets discussed. Yeah, the concept of plutonium one eighty six. And I'm not a science teacher, so I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you talk about that a little okay. bit. Okay, I'm not a chemistry or physics teacher either, but that's okay. We don't need to understand that too well. Um, it's in a world basically where the Earth's population has been reduced from six billion to two billion Mm -hmm. so there's been a he doesn't get into it but there's been a massive devastation of human life on earth right and some scientist discovers a way in an alternative universe to get an unlimited supply of energy that can supply humans essentially into for the foreseeable future and this is too great of a, too tempting of an apple to not take a bite into, if I'm going to do a little comparison to Snow White here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so it's a, uh, so it's, essentially it's two universes have discovered how to use each other to generate free and limitless energy. Yeah. Which would be, yeah, there, I mean, there's no way that our current universe would not take advantage of that. Imagine not having to fill up at the gas tank or having to pay your power bill. I mean, that's too tempting of a prospect, in, especially in any democracy, to turn down. I mean, mm-hmm. we all know a society in this situation would 
would take that in a heartbeat, regardless of any possible long-term consequences, right? Right. Which does kind of get to the the crux of this entire thing, is the idea of uh, benefit versus consequence, uh, and the idea of energy being available without really caring a whole lot about potential consequence. Exactly. And... In any world, you are, we all understand the people who say yes to good things are the people who are going to be popular. The person who discovered this and n- minimized its consequences, he's the person who is celebrated like an Elon Musk during this time period. He is right. the most popular man in the world. He's the man who saved the world. And there's people who, without too many spoilers, we won't get into those too much. This is mm-hmm. still an early premise, but... There's people who realize that there's going to be problems. I mean, it's not a spoiler to mention that there's going to be danger in a plot in this book, right? I mean, sure. How, well, yeah. and I think, I mean, we're still kind of within the first third of uh, third of the book, because again, three sections to it. Uh, and it is one of the scientists involved kind of recognizes that uh, this power or this energy transfer between two universes could potentially have... Uh, Uh, dire consequences Mm -hmm. i don't think that's too much of a spoiler yeah yeah and he is not popular because of this i mean he is he's that debbie downer guy he's the guy who you know you know we all have been in situations especially in high school where you know all the people are saying hey it's a good idea to do something that's kind of stupid that one guy who's quiet and says maybe it's a bad idea that's this guy he's not popular because he sees the and ends up finding a lot of evidence for a possible consequence down the road for um for like maybe we should find a different source of energy. Now, do we want to start now with that line of thought is that this book is if any of that sounds familiar, it's a parable for global warming. Yes, it is. I and mean, it the might consequence not... of free energy that we're pulling out of the ground, right? Mhm. Yeah, that's exactly. I don't know if uh Climate change was something he was aware of. I mean, obviously, Isaac Asimov was a scientist, so if anybody knew about this type of thing, mm-hmm. he could have known about it. Right. He was and a the, biochemist professor, which... And the environmental consequences of the industrial age, I mean, he would certainly be at the forefront of knowing that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As a, as someone... Uh, is he, he was uh, from... He was born in Russia, correct? I think so. Is that? I don't know a whole lot about his history. I think he was born in Russia, and I don't know where. I think he was teaching in Boston most of his career. Okay. It, he was a chemistry, biochemistry professor, mm-hmm. which is kind of not terribly related to a lot of the stuff that he writes about, from what I've read. He was his. very much a jack of all trades, though. Yeah, he was. Uh, and I guess we're really uh, dovetailing into Isaac Asimov, <laughs> and he's obviously an incredible individual here. Yeah, um, he's yep. done so much. I mean, obviously, like as I read in the premise, there he took a lot of time. He must have just been focused on his career. He took 15 years without writing a book, and you know, if you look mm-hmm. at his bibliography, it's not nearly as full as some of the other authors who are just writing full time their whole career, writing fiction full time. Because Asimov was still publishing scientific journals and, and that kind of thing. Like he was a busy, busy guy. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't always writing science fiction right yeah he was writing a lot of academic work as well Mm -hmm. but yeah i guess that focus that's pretty good premise of the beginning of the yeah the the first uh the first 
area, I guess. Okay, I guess uh, I want to. One thing I want to talk about before anything else is I want to talk about the quote that like highlights all three chapters, and it really yes. strikes home with so many things that happen in the world. Um, it, all three chapters have like titles that are like parts of the same quote, and the quote goes. I hope I'm not paraphrasing. Do, oh, do you have it written down? I thought I did, but apparently I don't. Against stupidity, the gods themselves contend in vain. Yes. That strikes home in a way that is, I mean, hasn't been, I mean, I guess it was taken from a German play, mm-hmm. and he, the, all of his, his three chapters, the first one we just discussed is called Against Stupidity. And really, that is something we like to contend with in our everyday lives, against stupidity. But the gods really represent all that is good and just and intelligent in the world. And all of that really has a hard time contending with all the ignorance and stupidity that exist in the world. (laughs) I mean, you can see this every day. When you see like a habitat management plan put together with the best forest scientists... The best minds, and it's and that management plan that is put together with endless hours of um, planning and execution is thrown out the window because of some idiotic teenager with a match. That's, I mean, that's my perfect real world example that exemplifies that quote. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's an interesting uh, take on that quote, uh, and coming from the perspective of your background yeah yeah that's great yeah you used to be a firefighter no big deal whatever mm-hmm. i'm taking ladies sorry <laughs> and it's uh and it's also i don't know i'm sure cameron will cut some of our rambling but it's also uh like right now uh the paradise valley in california that just burned down in the campfire oh uh, yeah including uh the home that i was born in Ugh. i i saw photos of they have photos of each house uh to show damage oh on, my a, goodness. On, a, on a status website. And the house that I was uh, not born in, but lived in when I was born is completely gone. Wow. I mean, that is, from as a former firefighter, I mean, that's just, I've never seen anything close to that. But, and there was something suspicious about how those fires started. I mean, it was something related possibly to, I don't want to miss, from my understanding, I haven't researched it too much, is... That it was some possible mistake of Pacific Gas and Electric, the major energy company in California, had some errors that led to this fire. It wasn't a natural lightning strike fire. Yeah, Jacques Hughes, California Power Company. Yeah, I don't know. We're not. We're gonna go. <laughs> we, we're gonna go. Someone's gonna go. Aaron Brockovich on you. Yeah. All right. Should we? Uh, should we get into uh, the the second chapter, which or the second section, oh, which yeah. is the gods themselves. Oh, the gods themselves. I have been so excited. This was the best part of the book. This was by far one of the greatest. This isn't the best book I've ever read, but this is one of the best sections of a book I've ever read. It's so imaginative. And also, it's very much... Bran, I'm working. I'm volunteering. Yeah. I'm volunteering. <laughs> there's there's a naked baby <laughs> brushing his junk against my knee. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's talk about alien sex. Yeah, <laughs> alien sex. <laughs> oh my goodness, gracious sakes alive. Oh, how do we even start the gods themselves? 
section. That's the title of the book and the title of this section. You know, like how all your favorite musicians, a lot of them have a title of a song that is also the title, the title of their album. Of the right? album. There and you sometimes go. the title of a song, like Black Sabbath, the title of the song is a song on an album named Black Sabbath, and the band is Black Sabbath. Man, that must be easy in MTV when you just type Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. And then, then you have to type out the company <laughs> records, you know, when you're typing out the video card that came at the bottom, right? <laughs> and then no one knows what you're talking about when you say Black Sabbath. They're like, wait, the song or the album or the band? Yeah. Why that was, we... hey, man. I don't know. Anyway, that was a great <clears throat> song, by the way. Very, very gloomy yeah. and doomy. Um, Alien sex. Let's talk yes. about it. So there were... In this uh, parallel universe that directly relates to what's going on on Earth, it's a parallel universe long ways away. There is, uh, I mean, I know in America there's a lot of, uh, there's a little controversy over polyamory, but this is an alien race that needs three separate genders to reproduce, and all of them need to be in unison at the same time, and they all need to be in the mood. You can't just fake being in the mood. You have to actually be in the mood. You have to have enough energy to be able to reproduce in this mm -hmm. universe. Because it seemed like it was kind of a chemical reaction uh, among the three participants in order to you know, make things happen, right? Yeah, they, their bodies aren't just touching each other. Their bodies meld and, like, become part of each other and share energy, and that's what creates three babies that are all, like, they create three other genders. I mean, there's definitely incest here, but let's just say, for sake of argument, that this alien universe doesn't, the same incest laws don't apply to it as sure. they apply to us. Sure. And I guess that's... Yeah, that sums up the sex life really bad. And there's a lot of complications in this episode too. And there's a there's some that one that has like a there's there's some masculine pronouns, there's some feminine pronouns too, but it is fairly complicated. Yeah. And so what you end up having is uh so there's sort of three participants in a relationship in a uh in a family unit. Uh you have the rationals and the emotionals, and the parentals, mm -hmm. right? So you have kind of the... Uh, the parentals is kind of an easy one. They're uh, in, within the family unit. They are the parents. They, they raise the, the offspring. Mm -hmm. um, the rationals are sort of like almost the protectors, maybe, they almost fit into a very traditional masculine role. Yeah, as you yeah. might picture in the this time period. Mm -hmm. And well, <laughs> and uh, I guess if you have the two, the rationals and the emotionals, then maybe you do have a little bit of Asimov's unwokeness, in that you kind of have the traditional masculine being rational, and the traditional feminine being emotional. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you could call it that in a way. I mean, he's writing about polyamory right now, so we'll give him a little bit of wokeness credit for 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not Yeah, it's I just it bugs me in the news when I see people try to police what things that people said 70 years like 50 <laughs> years ago and then that wasn't woke. Well, come on. Give the guy a break, all right? Is anybody perfect? Who's perfect? Come on. But um and then what was the third one? The third one was parental Mm -hmm. And they, you know, kind of were the, they raised the offspring. 
mm-hmm. they're the ones that the offspring have the best relationship with and oh and that kind of thing and so within our story we have the characters odine mm-hmm. who was the rational uh kind of the the father figure in this just to i don't know we'll we'll have labels mm-hmm. <laughs> and then dua which was sort of our our main character in this section of the story yeah. our our point of view character if you yeah. will each section has a very point of view character that kind of example was the main character of each section yeah and then trit mm-hmm. and i don't know if you noticed uh with that but odin starts with an o sort of like one or uno or all that kind of stuff dua is sort of like dual or dose or you know the traditional two and trit three yeah so it was very one two three uh, and that was the case for others that are mentioned as well, mm-hmm. uh, one way or another. Yeah. Um, maybe we could have read some Travis Tritt lyrics here to the uh, opening. Oh, maybe not. That's all right. I don't know any. So. You don't know any Travis Tritt? That's nope. okay. It's okay. It's a great day to be alive. All right, I'm done. I don't um, know that one at all. Okay. <laughs> has, uh, has, has Slayer covered that? Because then I might not. <laughs> That would be cool if Slayer covered Travis Tritt. I would pay so much money to see Slayer, Travis Tritt. Uh, you heard it here first. Barry will pay so much money. Slayer, uh, let's get on this. Yep. <laughs> Mark Henneman, are you listening? Yeah. All right. Um, Mark Jeff Hanneman. Jeff Hanneman. Dang it. Yeah. Rest in peace, brother. Um. One thing about these species, though, and that I think is kind of cool, and I think it would make backpacking a little bit easier for people like to go to the backcountry, is they get their energy through photosynthesis. They don't eat food. They are, yes. they are autotrophs. So, like, wouldn't that be kind of cool? Like, just sitting out in the sun. Maybe if you're do photosynthesis and get energy, you can imagine what food you want to taste, and you don't have to do the effort of chewing. You could just like sit out in the sun and imagine like a T-bone steak, or imagine a peach pie, or and then, and then soak in those those wonderful steak rays. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. I'd eat it Mickey rays a lot. Mm. Oh, boo, boo! Sorry, don't laugh at that. That was pathetic. Would it or would it all just taste like Sunny D? Oh yeah, that's true. A little Sunny D, right? <laughs> What's that other restaurant downtown called? Well, that has that sun on it. I used to eat there in college. Sunrise. Yeah, sun- the Sunrise yeah. Inn. There we go. Yeah. That's what they eat at the sunrise in. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so the let's get back to the rationals do a little bit of like work, I guess, uh, with the hard ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hard ones are like a like a kind of a almost d- like a superior like yeah, they're race a su- superior form of the organism of what they evolve into during their yeah. lifetime. As yep. after they mate and have kids. It's, I mean, it's complicated, but it's really, I mean, it's, this is a fun section. Fun, imaginative. I mean, you've never read anything like this before. It's true. And so they kind of do the, they do some of the heavy lifting as far as science is concerned for mm-hmm. this society. Yeah. 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 And then you're, the, and then you can pretty soon, uh, without doing too much spoilers, you're going to see that 
you're going to see near the end of this section that there's some sort of conflict. You you see exactly how the other in the section mentioned in the beginning against stupidity, how what they're doing is draining the energy of these people, making it difficult for them to make because they're not getting the energy from the sun to do their photosynthesis. So that's a conflict that you're going to see happen near the end of this section. Right. Now, do we want to, and Cameron, pay attention to me saying this right now, uh, you might want to cut this because there is some spoilery stuff. Huh? Oh, I'm, okay. I'm talking to you later. Okay. <clears throat> but do we want to talk about how uh, the other universe, it's kind of in their best interest that our universe is destroyed? Yes. That's, I mean, that's definitely good. It's getting into utilitarian philosophy, which I love. I mean, what is the greatest good for the greatest many? And obviously, people act in their own self-interest. The aliens are going to act in their own self-interest. We're mm -hmm. acting in our own self-interest. Right. And so as a part of this power transfer, just a, a little bit of clarification, as a part of this power transfer, uh, the potential for our universe uh, and the location where this power transfer is occurring uh, to cause problems for our universe would be beneficial to them. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And then that's something that's going to kind of... So in a way, theirs, uh, their universe is encountering the same moral dilemma that ours is, except in a, like, in a grander way, I think. Just because you have... Someone has discovered, like, wait, what you're doing is a bad thing, and there, it could cause problems, just not for them. Right, right. I guess it's a good way to look at it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the third section, I mean, third section's near the end of the book well, where the resolution happens. I don't want to get into too many spoilers before there. Before we get into the third section, should we okay. also say that there is an in-depth description, because we teased it at the beginning, in-depth description of how these these creatures mate. <laughs> oh yeah, very and in depth, very in depth, very intense. I mean, it's not erotic because I mean they're blobby aliens that I mean it's like I'm a biology teacher and I've shown videos of like turbularia worms mating in class. I mean, it's not even the slightest bit uh, you know, stimulating stimulating to us you know but like you know uh, the same token i would not show like a chimpanzee mating video yeah just a little bit too close just because that's a little bit just too close to reality there yeah but um but yeah there it gets but intense very get descriptive and uh i mean you get a little bit of like point of view emotion in it and it's one of the strangest things yeah to read uh, uh, i mean it is a sex scene but of an alien race that's so dissimilar from uh really anything that our life on our planet does mm -hmm. that it's kind of fascinating yeah yeah i agree i agree it was uh really awesome um Should we move on to the third section now? Sure. Which sure. is contend in vain. Contend in vain. So now we have another. We're going to get Isaac Asim is not done with sex. Oh, no, he's not. Um, but we're going to the moon now of the Earth, the Earth's moon. Luna. Luna. Yeah. And it's, it has its own situation going on there, too. Asimov wasn't. I've read. I haven't read as many of his books as you have, but I've never, I don't remember any sex scenes in his other books. And he kind of gets, gets into sexuality a lot in this book. Yeah. I don't recall easy. a whole lot in the others that I've read. Mm -hmm. I don't recall them. That doesn't mean that they aren't there. 
But this one, they are very prominent. They're very prominent, and they're definitely very memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, third, yeah, they're in the moon. There's people who are born on the moon, and they can't go to Earth. They can't really relate to Earth because of the gravitational differences, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and there's and people on the moon. I mean, you see this theme several other places in science fiction where people on the moon want to break away from Earth and form their own society. And because why wouldn't is, they? The Earth is awful. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you see that same theme playing out here. Yeah, it's a pretty good archetype for science fiction is people on a different planet from Earth trying to break away, and you see it working out pretty well here. And then you're going to see the resolution of the plot happens with some similar physicists and some other um, important, another really important female character on the moon. Mm Mm-hmm. We're getting we're getting uh, Cameron the peanut gallery yelling at us in the background now. Cameron would like to interject the expanse. He might yeah. even edit his own voice right now in to say. The Expanse. The Expanse. The Expanse. And there was, I know The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. That's a Heinlein book that kind of has a similar theme. But um, but yeah, there's, I don't want to get in too much into the plot here, but it's it's pretty cool. This is a pretty cool part of the book, too. I mean, they're all it's all good, really. But this is a, it's a cool resolution. If there's one minor criticism that I have is sure. that I think Asimov has done so well with series in his career that... In his one-off books, he has a hard time, like as in gymnastics terms, sticking a landing with the ending. Okay, yeah. I, I feel that it almost like he was hang writing... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you talk about how you feel, Barry, how do you feel about this book? <laughs> We're going to satire Cameron's outline. How did this how book you, make me how feel? How did this book make you feel? This book made me feel intellectually stimulated. Okay. I don't know if that's a feeling. I don't know if that's a feeling you'd find in one of those Valentine hearts, intellectually stimulated. But, I mean, I thought I just had It'd a great have to time. to be a big heart. I had a great time thinking about, like, the different ideas at play here. It was just really fun following, you know, the aliens and the humans. I mean, it just it felt so out in space and kind of weird and crazy at times yeah. and also so grounded i mean it felt like barely science fiction felt felt like contemporary fiction at times because it felt so close to home hmm interesting and so i i mean i kind of interrupted you but you were saying essentially how you felt about uh him wrapping up wrapping up the story yeah but when he wrapped up the story i did do feel like it was almost a little well since it's science fiction i can um Fine, I can just uh, invent a way out of this, and we'll do that. We'll wrap it up that way. And I did tell it was a little disingenuous, but it wasn't terrible. It was mm-hmm. just a little disingenuous, and didn't didn't didn't. It's it's very difficult. I find I find some science fiction. It's gr- easy to come up with a great idea. Not that he, this. I mean, he and he did took this book and did a great job of it. But sometimes making a perfect ending is difficult, and I don't think this ending is one that I'll remember as a great ending. I remember it as a good ending. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from with that. Um, it's yeah, it's sort of a he creates a fascinating problem, and it is. Uh, it is 
a really interesting premise mm-hmm. that uh, this book was basically just a thought experiment of, uh, I don't know if you've read the foreword, but the foreword mentions that this whole book's premise is based on uh, a misspeaking of a friend of his at a at some kind of like speaking engagement. I did not read the foreword. Oh, it's uh so a friend of his was doing a doing a seminar or something on something completely outside of what this book is about and he just said, "Oh, something like I don't know, plutonium 186." And Asimov being, you know, kind of the the smarmy smart guy was like plutonium 186 can't exist because of uh, protons and neutrons and charges. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm an accountant, not a science. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> not I a mean, science guy. I, I mean, I don't know exactly that, but like I can picture that uh, anybody who's even a high school level chemistry teacher could tell you, yep, that can't exist. That I mean, yeah, I read a couple of paragraphs to my wife, who is a high school chemistry teacher, and she was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I get it. That can't because of this, this, and this. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But uh, but so he took that idea and was like, well, that can't exist. But what if it did? Mm-hmm. What would happen? Mm-hmm. And that's what this book is completely about. It's uh, amazing when you can find the seed for what started a book. Yeah. I, just, I find that fascinating to see. Like, different book, great science fiction book, Dune, started mm-hmm. when Frank Herbert went to some coastal dunes in Oregon. Mm-hmm. That gave him the idea to write a science fiction book about he was fascinated with dunes. We should do a Dune episode. Oh, man. Amazing. Yeah. Herbert Jr., awful. <laughs> we will. Yeah. Cameron threw in his opinion on that. He's in. Yeah. Yeah. Frank Herbert. Read that. That's one of my favorite books. And... Frank Herbert is from my hometown of Tacoma. Oh, wow. I yeah. did not know that. Uh, apparently, his granddaughter is my mom's hairdresser. Wow. <laughs> How's that for random? Wow. She she's doomed to succeed. <laughs> oh, Awful. Um, right. so what are we missing? Uh who would we recommend this to? I'd recommend this to hardcore science fiction fans mostly. I don't know if this is one for younger people, if they'd really get into it that much. I think this is definitely one for your academic types. Mm-hmm. For people who are really I'm really kind of painting myself as a smart guy here, like I go to Mensa meetings. But, like, no, I think it's for people who are just curious about ideas. Not saying I'm very smart or anything, but I'm curious. Definitely curious about new concepts and new ideas. Those are the people I most highly recommend this to. Or people who are really into alien sex. I mean... The the Venn diagram <laughs> of, yeah. of in, like curious people and people that are into alien sex is probably just one circle. Very much so. Yeah. It makes me think of that Katy Perry song. Remember that song? You're so hypnotizing. I know. I'm. Well, one thing about that, and you probably want to edit this out, Cameron, is <laughs> as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh, that is the freaking Cadence 2 battery. Katy Perry ripped off battery. You're so hypnotizing, indecisive power, crushing, crushing all, all the, the cower. Its battery is here. Yeah, okay. All right. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Has Metallica covered? Katy Perry's hypnotizing because <laughs> I kissed a girl I liked it. Oh. 
Yeah. I don't know what we're even. Uh, star ratings. Should we do that? I guess, yeah. Let's do star ratings. I guess because of this lack of stuck ending, but I liked it so much, I'm going to give it a four and a half. I'm the four and a half king, though. I'm mm-hmm. so stingy with my fives, you know? I was think listening to your other episode, and I guess I got to do my rubric since you right, guys did right. your rubrics. My rubric is if it's a five, it's something that I'm going to think about after I read it. It's something that's on my mind for a long time after I read it. Four and a half as I really enjoyed it, but maybe I'm not thinking about it that much. Four, enjoyed it. Three, eh, I guess it was okay. After that, you know, you can figure it out. You can yeah. figure it out. But like, if it's going to be a five, like, I guess I'm going to redo my three-body problem rating. Yeah, that's a five, because I've been thinking about that one a lot. That entire series is amazing. Mm-hmm. Dune's definitely a five. I mean, books that you think about long after you read them, those yeah. are my fives. All right. So I'm going to go with a uh, I'm going to go with a four because this is uh, like I did find it super interesting. And I mean, it's 280 some 88 pages. That's I mean, that's easy to read. It's easy to get through. It's uh, it's super fascinating. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'll read it again, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was really interesting. So, have we missed anything from Cameron's uh, general his general, general spiel. outline? Yeah. Um, make sure if you want to message the Nerd Book Review. Yeah. Uh, just Google it. Really. You yeah. Can find Google it that way. Nerd Book Review. Uh, <laughs> email him at I'm a douche <laughs> at Cameron's. I don't know. I'm being a jerk now. <laughs> but no, it's yeah. Um, usually, I guess we talked about how it made us feel. What else is there? Um, there's no real other than like alien sex. I mean, there's no real, there's no reason it's should be, there's no rape or like violent scenes no. in there that are like, should be something that would turn any reader No, off. this, yeah, it's not like a, I don't want my 12 year old to read this. It's not yeah, that I mean, at all. Yeah, it's like the alien sex scene. I mean, it's very descriptive, but it's like, you know, describing like, like moray eel sex. I mean, that shouldn't be a turn on for anyone. I kind of wondered if there was a, if there was any kind of uh, like corollary, uh, uh, maybe like uh, like chemical reaction that was similar to the way that he was describing it. Or I, I wondered if there was a, a like an influence to the way that he was describing alien sex. And I don't know enough to know if if there is, but there was a part of me that was kind of like, is he describing something that happens in our world, but maybe isn't procreation, but this is some sort of, uh, either chemical reaction or like a way that solutions react or, well, he's a biochemist. So I mean, I'm going to leave that out to be a huge possibility. Yeah. If there is a chemical reaction, he probably knows about it. Sure. So, well, I'm I'm out of notes. Yeah, I'm out uh, of notes on this. too here. Uh, so, if there was anything else that we wanted to drop in there, not really. Yeah, that's about all I had about this. I mean, it's it's a good book. It relates to this world very well. I think it aged well too. I mean, it's you could definitely see potentially this that happening in our near future. If there's somebody, what if there's a solution to global warming, climate change, and other environmental disasters that 
ends up with like, let's just say that there's a solution to that where there will be consequences in 200 years. Will we take that pill? I think we would take that pill. Mm -hmm. I think we'd punt that one down the road. Well, we're punting that one down the road right now with actual global warming. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) <laughs> I was just laughing, thinking about the, would we be willing to do that? Oh, it's like, yeah, <laughs> we would totally be willing to. I mean, we're doing it without a solution. Well, you know, well, yeah. actually, I'd hope we, we have a solution right now. And it's the sun, sort of like the way that the second second section of this book gets yeah. their energy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, this wave technology, we need to adopt that wide scale. So all that stock I have in ocean uh, powered turbine technology makes me some money. Yeah, in case you can't hear that, Cameron is talking about uh, we need to get wave technology and harnessing the the energy force in waves uh, because he has stock in a company that oh. does exactly that. Yeah. I have a little bit of stock in that company, too. New collusion. Um, oh, God. But wave technology is the wave of the future. I think that if we end it, that's probably where that should end. <laughs> Done. When you speak, though,